of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, good morning, y'all. Uh, I was just thinking, what if those events, would be, it'd be great if we did a mashup. What if we did Friendsgiving with a camp out and everybody brings cookies? I mean, that would be an amazing, all three of those events would be great, but just mash them all up. I love a good mashup. Uh, excited for Friendsgiving tonight. I hope y'all will be here, five o'clock, uh, come ready to eat. All right, uh, we're going to also at the end of the service, for those of you that want to help us, we're going to rearrange this whole room, so stick around for that, would you? Um, we've been in the series, Romans chapter 8, what I believe is the most incredible chapter in the Bible, so it's been a fun series. Through the four weeks we've been in it already, we've seen some things about life in the Spirit. The Spirit sets you free. The Spirit empowers you for holy living. The Spirit gives you assurance and the Spirit enables you to endure suffering. And this morning we're going to talk about the fact that the Spirit helps you and intercedes for you. We'll be in Romans 8, verses 26 through 30. And let me just tell you all, buckle up. A lot of good stuff this morning that we're going to take a look at. Um, but let me ask you a question as we kind of start this thing off. Uh, have you ever felt overwhelmed? Anybody? Uh, I remember two years ago, um, two summers ago, uh, summer of 2021, um, I had to put both of my parents into assisted living, into a memory care facility. Uh, and so, you know, I had to sell their home, uh, the home that was built the year I was born. That's all I'd ever known. Uh, I had to, you know, as their power of attorney, I, I began to uh, take over oversight of all of their affairs. And some of you have been through that. Uh, you know, that's no walk in the par park. That is uh, challenging to be sure. But uh, what I remember most about that whole experience is it was really the chapter, the, the couple years preceding that. Uh, so I remember a couple years prior to that, uh, our family was living in Missouri uh, before we moved here. And I remember getting a call that, uh, from my uncle saying that my dad had had a little accident. He had fallen. He was in the hospital. Uh, and so I made this trip from Missouri back to Ohio uh, to check on, on my dad. And I remember going into um, the hospital room and my dad was just, uh, he was fine physically, but uh, there was a lot of confusion. And he was, he was all out of sorts and uh, his memory, there was some, some issues there. He didn't know where he was, the time in his life. There was just a lot of stuff there that uh, was challenging for me in that moment. I remember uh, being in there with my dad um, and you know, my wife wasn't with me and I was just kind of felt like I was on my own. I remember stepping out of that, that hospital uh, room and uh, probably the moment I crossed the threshold of that doorway, I just lost it. Uh, I felt 100% helpless in that moment. I was so overwhelmed. I've never before and never since felt that, that sense of being overwhelmed. Uh, I, didn't, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how, I, how to even feel, uh, what to say. I remember calling my wife and I had very few words. I just I didn't know what to do in that moment. And uh, I didn't even really know how to pray. I just remember begging God to help me. It was so, so overwhelming to me. Now, for sure, I've had other moments uh, throughout my life to varying degrees of feeling overwhelmed. And I'm sure you all have 
have as well. But that one, to me, it, it tops the list. Uh, just absolutely overwhelmed. Have you ever, ever felt overwhelmed? Maybe even at this moment in your life, there's something going on that, that you, you feel helpless. Um, maybe it's by your circumstances. Maybe when you think about the future, you, you feel overwhelmed. Well, if that is the case, you need to hear the truths of Romans 8. The Spirit helps you and intercedes for you. This is such an incredible, incredible passage. And there's a lot here this morning. I hope it will encourage you. Uh, it may, for some of you, challenge you in your, in your thinking. But ultimately, I hope it, it encourages you that there is a God who loves you, who, who helps you and lives to intercede for you. So let me pray for us. And then I'll ask you to stand with me after that. And we're going to read the scriptures together. All right. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to know you, to uh, be known by you. Lord, thank you that when we feel helpless... You help us. You step in. You intervene. You are, always, uh, you are always active and present. You know exactly what we're going through. Uh, and you are the one who can help us in our weakness. Uh, and so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to uh, the truths of Romans chapter 8. Lord, I pray for anyone that feels overwhelmed in this room, even this morning. Um, God, I pray that you would give us a sense of peace and rest in who you are and what you have done and the promises of your word. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all stand with me? Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up to Romans 8. We're going to read verses 26 through 30. This is God's word. It is truth. It is life. And the scriptures say this, Romans 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. Amen. All right, why don't you all have a seat. Thank you for standing with me. Uh, three points this morning, and I'll just tell you like straight up, that we could spend at least a Sunday, if not more, on each of these points, but I'm going to try to work through these. I'm going to try to be as succinct uh, and as clear as possible. Uh, but let's start with this thought, God's gracious help. God's gracious help. And we're going to look back at verses 26 and 27. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the work, uh, or according to the will of God. So, God's gracious help. And, and, and Paul starts by saying that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so to me, the beginning of this whole conversation, really the beginning of our whole Christian life, is coming to this realization, understanding something about ourselves, and it is this, that we are weak. 
we are weak. Now, y'all, this is not a message that uh, the world appreciates or believes. This is, uh, in fact, the world would say that this, to believe that we're weak, that we're undeserving, we're, we're weak in our own strength, um, that would be a, a message that would open up, us up to being taken advantage of or to being abused. No, you're, you're, we're, we're strong, we're capable. And yet the scriptures say that we are, are weak, that we need help. We don't always know what to do. And sometimes we think we know what to do, but it's not always what is, is best. And this is where the spirit of, of God steps in. He, he helps us in our weakness. In fact, as Andrew pointed out earlier, one of the names in scripture for the Holy Spirit of God is helper. Jesus, back in the gospel of John chapters 14, 15, 16, he refers to this Holy Spirit who's going to come and he calls him the helper. Uh, I love that, that that God, the Holy Spirit, he is divine, he is powerful, and yet one of his titles, one of his roles is he is, he is our helper. He comes alongside of us to help us. And if we cannot recognize or accept our own weakness, we will never look outside of ourselves for help. I love how Ray Ortland, Ray Ortland, uh, pastor, uh, wrote a book, um, kind of a commentary on Romans 8. I love this quote, this kind of question. Uh, It just kind of stuck with me this week. He asked this question, have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit as a gracious person who steps in to offer, may I help? May I bear that burden with you? Uh, I love that thought. Like think of the person, like a person in your life who is, you would describe as the most helpful person. That whenever you need a hand, whenever you need support, whenever you need someone to, uh, you need to feel loved, you go to that person. You know that they're going to do whatever it takes to help you, to come alongside of you. The Holy Spirit is that and so, so much more. He is our helper. And he says, he goes on, Paul says that the Spirit intercedes. He intercedes. So one of the things, one of the things I think that's so intriguing about this, this, this passage is that Paul basically tells us this. Well, we don't really know how to pray. Like, I don't, I don't know, some of you may, may be like, I don't feel comfortable praying in public or in front of other people. Or maybe you're like, uh, I don't know if I really know how to pray that well, or I feel inexperienced in praying. Uh, some of you have been like, I've been praying for years. Uh, I feel like I'm okay at praying or I'm good at praying. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about the timeline, like 1992, 1992 was when I came to faith in Christ. And so for over 30 years now, this blows my mind that I'm even that old to be able to say for 30 years I've been doing anything. But for 30, over 30 years, I've been walking with Jesus, praying or fumbling around trying to pray and learn how to pray better. Uh, in fact, I, uh, if you don't realize this, I get paid to pray. I'm a, I'm a professional prayer, right? So I should be an expert in this whole matter. Uh, I'm on this level, right? And, mm, here's what Paul says. He says, I don't care how good you think you are, how bad you think you are, how experienced, inexperienced, I don't care. We really don't know how to pray as we ought. But here's the beautiful thing is that the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit comes to our aid and he helps us. Doesn't, doesn't matter how good or bad we think we are. Uh, I would guess, and I would guess this about most of our prayers. Many of our prayers are probably, uh, I don't know, at least for me, ignorant uh, or selfish or self-centered. At best, short-sighted, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. He brings our requests 
to God on our behalf. So how does, he, how does he intercede? How does he do this? Well, a couple things it says here, a couple details. He, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So with groanings too deep for words. If, if you've been paying attention, following along in Romans 8, uh, you, you recognize the word groanings. We've already seen it twice in chapter 8. Last week in this previous passage, verse 22, it says, uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So all of creation is, is groaning, waiting for the restoration of all things. Verse number 23, Paul goes on to say, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So all of creation is groaning, Paul says that we ourselves, those of us that know Christ, man, we're groaning. We're groaning for the day when we're free of sin, when all is made right, the redemption of our bodies. And then Paul goes on to say here that there's an, a third kind of groaning going on. It's the groaning of the Holy Spirit. When we don't know how to pray, he is taking our requests. He's taking maybe our, our wordless prayers, our, our groaning, our feeble, weak attempts to communicate with God. He's taking our prayers and he's... He's interceding on our behalf with groanings to the Father. And the Father who searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit, Paul says, uh, because, I don't know if you know this, but God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they're kind of on the same page, right? They're part of the Trinity. They, they, they uh, are divine. They understand they are the three in one, the triune God. And so uh, the Spirit is able to, uh, when I think of it, I think of the Spirit as like a translator, right? He's taking our requests our bumbling, fumbling prayers, and he takes them and translates them to God with groanings to, to, uh, that can't even be understood by words. But then he says there's a second thing. He says he's praying, uh, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. So I would be the first to say that not all of my prayers, uh, I would guess, are according to the will of God. Right? Sometimes they're selfish, or I don't always know what the will of God is. But here is the thing about the, the Holy Spirit's prayers. Uh, they are always in accordance with God's will. And they are always heard, and they are always answered in the affirmative because they are in line with God's will. And so the Holy Spirit takes our prayers, and he translates them. He, how awesome is this, that even when our prayers are imperfect, he cleans them up for us and he brings them before the Father. He intercedes for us. Y'all think of this. You know, further on in the Bible, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, it tells us that Jesus is doing something in heaven at the right hand of the Father for us. You know what it says he's doing for us? He's interceding for us. In heaven, Jesus is doing that in the ear of the Father, and yet here on earth, within us, in our hearts, it says the Holy Spirit is also likewise interceding for us. And so God the Father who answers prayers is hearing the intercession of, of Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, y'all, if you are in Christ, the whole Godhead, the Trinity, the three in one, he is for you, he is for your good, and he is for your glory. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. This is what we're talking about when we say God's gracious help. He is our helper. He is our gracious helper. Here, here's a second thing that, that I want us to see this morning is God's sovereign 
work. God's sovereign work. Verse number 28, you may have heard this verse before. Uh, Here's what it says in verse number 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So this is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. I've heard it referred to as a pillow on which we can, lie our, uh, we can lay our weary heads, right? The, the truth of Romans 8.28 is so powerful, and it starts with these words, and we know, and we know. So throughout this, uh, this book of Romans, right, we're in chapter 8, Throughout the first seven chapters into chapter eight, we, have, we hear Paul uh, six times over. He uses the phrase, we know, we know, we know. There's some things that we know. In fact, we just mentioned verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation is, is groaning, right? So we know, we know, we know, we know. We come to verse 26, which we just read, talking about how we pray. And he says, it's this kind of in contrast, right? He says, we don't know how to pray as we ought and then verse 28 comes back to, and we know. And I just, I feel like this is a good picture of the Christian life. There's things, there's a lot of things that we know. And then there's, on the other hand, a lot of things that mm, we really don't know, right? We're, we're kind of caught in that tension. Here is, here is what I would suggest or submit to you as one of our problems is that uh, we spend too much time contemplating things that we don't know rather than concentrating on things we do know. Let me, let me say that one more time. We, we spend too much time contemplating things we don't know rather than concentrating on things we do know. And when Paul comes to Romans verse 28, he says, we know this is especially one of those things that, man, we ought to concentrate on, one of those things we ought to focus in on, the truth of what he says, we know. Well, we know that that all things work together for good. This is what we know. We may not, listen, we may not understand it fully. We may not like it. But Paul says, we know all things work together for good. All things, not some things work together for good, not most things work together for God, but what? All things work together for good. All things work together for good. There's nothing in all of existence that that falls outside of all things. All things that includes your good decisions, that includes your bad decisions. That includes your righteous, holy choices and your sinful, poor choices. All things he is able to work together all things work together, work together. So that means that no experience that you and I have stands in isolation. They all work together. God is able to, I love this word, weave all things together. He is able to weave all things together for our good. It's like a tapestry. He's able to work all things together for good. All things work together for Good. Now, don't hear, what he's, don't hear what he's not saying. He's not saying that all things are good because not all things are good in and of themselves, right? But God is able to 
work all things together for our supreme good. He's able to work all things together for our good. So who does this apply to? Everyone? Uh, no, it's, it's limited in its scope. Look, look back at verse 28. Who is this for? It's for those who love God. It is for those who are called according to his purpose. So all things work together for good. This is limited to those who love God because they have been called by God. Those who love God because they've been called by God. First John 4, 19, John says this, we love because what? He first loved us. He set his love upon us. He called us. And so this is who he is speaking to. If you have responded to the call of God, you love God, it says, hey, all things work together for good. And I just want to pause here on that thought for a second. We love because he first loved us. Here's a good marker. If you have any kind of questions about your relationship with God uh, or, or if you're just doing the church kind of thing, here's a question for you. Do you love God? Do you love God? Or I, I didn't ask, do you go to church? I didn't ask, did you grow up in the church? Did you grow up around the church, around God? Do you know about God? Do you love God? Because it's possible to follow his ways and do godly things without loving or knowing God. Do you love God? We love because he first loved us. And if there's in your heart any question about whether you love him or not, maybe it's because God has not yet changed your heart. Maybe you've not yet responded to his love. So all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called by God. So this whole verse, verse 28, we would put this in the realm of, of what we would call providence. Providence, And, I, and I, I love, again, Ray Ortland Jr., his definition of providence. He says it's, it's this, God's overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. Providence is God's overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. And I love that phrase because the idea of overruling. So we all know that in a fallen, broken world, we're going to experience suffering and pain and things that were never intended to be, right? But God, in his love and in his sovereignty, he is able to overrule what is evil. He is able to overrule what is bad. He is able to overrule what is tragic to bring good out of it, to bring our supreme good out of it. Providence. Let me give you two examples, one biblical and, and one that, that I heard recently. Uh, I don't have time to camp out here, but we could go to the story of Joseph. You all know Joseph, one of the 12 sons of, of Jacob back in the book of Genesis. Uh, Joseph's uh, father, Jacob, loved him, but his brothers not so much, right? They, they left him to die. They essentially they ended up selling him into slavery, uh, into Egypt. And so Joseph goes through this traumatic experience and at the end of it, he, he is raised to a position of authority and power. His brothers come to him in a famine looking for food. And man, Joseph has the opportunity to squash his brothers. And yet he understands the providence of God. Genesis 50, verse number 20, he says this in response to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, 
But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What Joseph says is, listen, you meant this, your intentions were not good for me. They were only evil. And yet God was able to overrule your intentions with his providential intentions. He meant it for good. He was able to overrule, to bring good about through this. He was able to work all things together for good. Let me give you another example. I just read this story this past week uh, about a young lady named Bailey Holbrook, 16-year-old girl um, from uh, Palatka, Florida, about an hour south of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I read the story about Bailey, who was 16 years old, out hunting uh, with her dad, and uh, lightning struck and glanced off a nearby tree, and it left both of them uh, unconscious. And uh, dad eventually, you know, wakes up, but daughter Bailey uh, is not breathing. Uh, and so, you know, they were able to get her to the hospital. He's reaching out to people on social media, asking people, pray, 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 pray. Obviously that God uh, revives her, that spares her life. Uh, and, and hundreds of people, prayer vigils were going on for her. And uh, despite all the prayers of God's people, uh, Bailey died. Uh, but Bailey, what you need to know about her is, man, she was passionate about, uh, about Jesus, about knowing God, about making him known. Uh, it's, it's been told about her that, man, she um, was always inviting people to, to church. She had text threads with different friends where she's sharing Bible verses with them. She's inviting them to church. She's instrumental in, in other teenagers coming to faith in Christ. Um, she's got this reputation for her heart for God. And so this heartbreaking incident um, was heartbreaking for so many in that community. And yet, uh, the, the whole point behind the story was that revival broke out in this little community. Uh, in fact, you'll see this picture here in mid-October. This is two weeks after uh, her death. Uh, 172 middle schoolers and high schoolers were baptized in the St. John's River. Um, because hundreds of people, young and old, put their faith in Jesus because um, many of them would attest to the personal impact of Bailey's life and testimony. And so this whole revival is, is moving through uh, this whole area. And one of the things I think that was so cool about this story is there was a 74-year-old uh, woman who said, I've been praying for years that God would bring revival to Palatka, Florida. And I'm so thankful that I'm alive to see this day and to see God moving and changing people's lives. And Bailey's pastor, Ron Smith, he said this, the catalyst that, the catalyst that God used was the sudden death of a teenage girl who was known for her strong faith in Christ. Y'all, wow, what an incredible, incredible story. I hope at my death that sparks revival, you know what I'm saying? I'm hoping that my life and testimony causes people after I'm gone to want to know this God that I love and serve. And that was the case with Bailey. This is an example, y'all, of God's sovereign work. That he can take tragedy, that he can take heartbreak, that he can take evil, suffering in the world, and he can overrule it for his good. Yo, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm ready to see Jesus, but I'm not ready. You know what I'm saying? But if, if I have to leave early for 170 people to come to Christ, so be it. This is God's sovereign 
work. Wow. All right, number three. Now I'm going to ask you to really buckle up right now. Here's the third and final one. We could spend probably a whole month on this one. Here's the third one. God's unbreakable chain. God's unbreakable chain. Let me read verses 29 and 30. Y'all, we're getting ready to get into it. I'm just warning you. Okay, here's 29. It says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So uh, I've been familiar with these verses for years, but I've never dug into them as much as I have over the past week. And every single, every single resource that I dug into, every author, every commentary, every like, study Bible note that I, that I saw, uh, it called five words in this passage. Uh, it referred to them as an unbroken chain. All right, so we've been singing this morning. I heard in the first couple of songs, we've been singing about chains, you know, like breaking free of chains. We're talking about chains of bondage. These are different. These are good chains, all right? This is God's unbreakable uh, chain. It's these five words that we see in verses 29 and 30. Uh, the, the words are foreknew, predestined, called, uh, justified, glorified. All right, so we're going to take a few moments to walk through these. And uh, I do want to give a little bit, uh, actually, let me mention this, my favorite phrase, uh, the fa my favorite description of this was uh, the unbreakable links in the golden chain of redemption. Unbreakable links in the golden chain of redemption. I love that. So this is all about God saving work from his, his plan from eternity past into eternity future. Eternity past into eternity future. So let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer and a note as we get ready to jump into these five words, all right? Um, a couple of these words may, depending on your church background, they may make you squirm, all right? And that's okay. We're going to embrace the squirm this morning. I want to get that on a t-shirt. Embrace the squirm. <laughs> you, you may, like... Some of these things we're going to talk about, you may push back. That's okay. Uh, I, I say that because uh, for probably 10 or 12 years, I wrestled with these things. So um, you may push back. That's okay. You may at first, you know, at first uh, hearing, you may go, hmm, I don't agree with that. I'm, you may push back hard. Uh, and that's okay. We can still be friends. <laughs> All right. Um, but I want to walk through these things um, because these words, these words uh, are seen throughout the New Testament. And so we can't, we can't just reason them away, reason them away or act like they're not there. They're very clearly biblical terms. We gotta know what God says about them. And so we've gotta be willing to let the scriptures uh, speak and define, define itself by comparing scripture with scripture. All right, so, um, and, and I'll say this. Uh, these are some words that over time uh, I have wrestled with and sometimes been uncomfortable with and didn't wanna, I didn't want to come to the conclusion I've come to now. Um, but this is, for me, one of the reasons why I trust this to be God's word because uh, I don't love everything that it says. I don't, at first blush, it's not comfortable for me. And that's how I know it's not written by man because there's some things, y'all, that I might write out of this book if I'd probably write out the whole sin thing, right? You know what I'm saying? But, man, there's some, some challenging things in here. So 
uh, I just ask you, encourage you to listen, um, and let's walk through these things. So mainly what I'm talking about are these first two words that start with a prefix. The first one is for, for new, and the second one is pre, predestined. Both of those terms um, speak of uh, ahead of time, right? Those are prefixes that mean uh, it, they locate these decisions, this activity in eternity past, for new, predestined, all right? So these are eternal purposes that cannot be thwarted, that cannot be frustrated, all right? This is why we talk about this as being God's unbreakable chain, all right? So let's jump into the first one, for new, for new. So at, at the root of that is the word know. So what does it mean to know? Uh, when the Bible uses the word know, uh, it's more than, and you should know this, it's more than just intellectual knowledge. It's speaking about a personal relationship of, of care and affection. All right. So if I say that I know you and you know me or God knows me, that's, it's, it's an intimate relational kind of knowledge, right? Uh, that's, what, that's what we're talking about when it comes to foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God. It's not saying, uh, it's not saying that God simply knew ahead of time who would believe in him. All right, it's not saying God was like, okay, I'm, I foresee in the future that so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are going to believe in me. That's not what he's referring to when he talks about that he foreknew. Rather, what he means is that God in eternity past made an intentional decision to set his love upon what we would call the elect, his chosen. I'm choosing before the foundation of the world, to set my love upon these people. This is, the, the theological term we use is election, this intentional choice of God to set his love upon us. So here, here's kind of at the crux of it when I think of it, the, the point or the question that we have to ask in this, because some of us are pushing back because we're like, but I'm called to believe in Jesus. I'm called to put my faith in Jesus. Yes, we'll get to that in a second. But here's the question to me at the heart of it. Who initiates the relationship between us and God? Is it God or is it us? This is a tricky question. Some of you are like, hmm, oh, my mind is blown. Okay, so this is what we're talking about, to foreknow. Um, who initiated the relationship? So what I would say the Bible teaches is that God is the one who initiates the relationship. He chose us. He put his love upon us. So our standing, our security in his love is not dependent on us or on our decisions, but upon him. So what does that mean about, uh, there's a term that some of you may be screaming in your mind. What about free will? My ability to choose. And uh, I, I don't love the term free will. The term I think is more biblical is human responsibility. Uh, what I would say is that this whole idea of God's election, of God's choosing, uh, his foreknowledge, uh, it doesn't negate or diminish human responsibility. In other words, it doesn't do away with, with our responsibility to repent and believe. Because you look through the scriptures in the New Testament, we are clearly called to put our faith in Christ. But the question at hand is, who initiated that? I would say that the ability to even believe, to even have faith in Jesus, is a gift from the hand of God. Because throughout the New Testament, it describes us, human beings, as uh, blind and deaf and dead, right? Ephesians 2, we're dead in our trespasses 
and sins. We need to be brought to life. And so it's impossible for us to be converted to faith in Christ unless God gives us sight and hearing and life. He is the one who initiates it. He is the one who calls us, which we're going to get to in, in just in just a moment. But let me, let me just, uh, actually, let me reference one more verse before we move on. It's not on the screen. John 6, 44, uh, where Jesus himself says, hey, no one can come to me, to Jesus, unless the Father draws him. Unless the Father draws him. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the work of God to draw us to himself, to bring us to the place where our hearts are open to even receive who he is. All right, so pre, uh, for new, for new. Let me read a couple verses here. Uh, one from the Old Testament. We could go different places. I want to go to Deuteronomy 7. This is uh, speaking of Israel, God's chosen people. Moses talking to Israel and he's saying, hey, God didn't choose you because you were the, the most populous nation on the earth. He says in verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all peoples. Then why did he choose you? Verse 8, because, but it is because the Lord loves you. It's not because of anything that you have done to earn that, deserve that. The people of God, Israel, can't say, well, we're better, we're more in people, we're, we're better in our morals, we're all, so we earn, deserve. No, no, he said, it's not because of any of that. It's because I chose to set my love upon you. And then the New Testament, in Ephesians, uh, he talks about the church, the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, let me just read these for us. Verses 4 to 6, Paul says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us. Us in the beloved. Drop down to verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to, here it is, the counsel of his, his will. Uh, my glasses just fell off my face. <laughs> uh, I'm, getting so, I'm getting so fired up. Yeah. Uh, verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So foreknew, it's God choosing to set his love upon us. Okay, so here is, and again, we could spend so much more time here. Um, for some of you, this raises more questions. That's good. It's good to wrestle with this. Here's the second chain in the link. It's predestined. He foreknew whom he foreknew. He predestined, verse number 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So whom he foreknew, he predestined. So follow this, follow this chain of thinking, all right? If, if uh, God has elected or chosen you, set his love upon you, then he is also predestined, or here's another term we could use, predetermined, all right? Predetermined beforehand. This is, think of the word destiny, all right? Your determined end is this, to be like Christ to be conformed to his image. So if he set his love on you in eternity past, he's chosen you, he's also predestined you to become like Christ, to be conformed to his image. This is, you know, when we think back to verse 28, 
right? All things work together for good. This is the good that he's speaking of. All things work together for good. So our good is not about our comfort. It's about our conformity to Christ. So in all of the tragedy and all the suffering and all the difficulty of this life, he is able to weave all things together for good, which means in all of this and through all of this, he is going to make you more and more conform to the image of his son. That is your destiny if you are in Christ. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. Predestined. All right, we're going to move on. For new, predestined, called. And I think this kind of, let me read you a quote from Ray Ortland Jr. I feel like this kind of brings this whole chain kind of together as we consider his calling. What does that mean when it says, uh, those whom he predestined, he also called? Ray Ortland says this, Paul's sweep of thought moves from the heart of God in eternity past to the action of God in our present lives. When God calls us through the spirit-empowered gospel, we convert to faith in Jesus. He gives us the faith to respond. If you have put your trust in Christ, it may have felt as though you were reaching out to find God. You may have even struggled to take that step. But Paul sees beyond your choice of God. He is explaining what lay beneath your heart cry to God. God was calling you. He goes on to say this. He set his love on us. He determined that we would be glorified. He arranged that you and he personally would meet. He drew near to you through the gospel. He spoke to your heart. You heard his call and you woke up. This is what he means when he says that we've been called. So we know the invitation of the gospel throughout the New Testament is that, hey, whoever, whoever will come may come. Whoever wants to have faith in Jesus, whoever wants to have eternal life may come to him. That is the general gospel invitation. It's open to everyone to respond in faith to Jesus. That's not what he's talking about with calling here, not this general gospel invitation. It is what, what the Bible describes. The, theolo the theological term is the effectual call, the effective call of God. So this means those who are called are those who have responded in faith to Jesus. Those who've heard him call, those who've responded in faith. This is, is what he's speaking to. Those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his image. Those he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, verse 30, he also justified. We're number four. We've already seen this term earlier uh, in Romans uh, 8. We won't spend a lot of time here, but let me remind you, the word justified is a legal term that means to be declared righteous. It's based on the merit of Christ. It's based on his work on the cross. It's not based on our merit, anything that we earn or deserve. It's based on our union with him. So he gives us his righteousness. He declares us justified. So if he foreknew, he chose you, he predestined you to be conformed to his image. That's the second link. The third link in the chain is he called you and you responded. The fourth link is that he justified you. The moment you put faith in Christ, he declared you righteous. Remember week number one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's already declared you righteous. Those who he justified, here's the fifth and final word, the final link in the chain, those whom he justified, what's it say? He also glorified. 
he glorified. What is, what is glorification? That is kind of what we saw in the previous passage. This is when our redemption will be fully realized, when it will be complete. We'll have glorified bodies, right? This is the hope that we have. So let me ask you this question about glorification. When we will receive our glorified bodies, is that, is that past, present, or future? Future, all right? I'm glad none of you said present, because I'm looking around at y'all, I mean, like, no, none of y'all have glorified bodies, right? It's future, but what tense does Paul speak in here? Past. He says, those have been justified, he also glorified. Why does he speak in past tense about something that is to, to happen in the future? It's because it's already settled, y'all. When he justified you, he also glorified you. They're, they're, this is the project that God has undertaken in, in working in your life, and he is going to be faithful to complete what he has started. Have you all ever started a project at home or at work or something at school or whatever, and you started it, and you were like well on your way, and then hmm, never got that thing done, right? Still un, uh, incomplete, right? Unfinished. You know, God doesn't do that with his kids. He finishes every project that he starts. He foreknew you. He predestined you to be conformed to his image. He called you. He justified you. He will. He has glorified you. It's a settled matter. If you are in Christ, this is, and this is what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this. We know this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish what he started in you. So these five terms, these five ideas, these form this, this unbreakable chain, God's unbreakable chain. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. God's unbreakable chain. And I know for some of you, again, you're, uh, some of these things, you're, it's, it's challenging. You're, you're thinking, uh, your theology you know what, that's, again, a good thing. I was in that place for a long, long time, and it's a good place to be in. Uh, I will say this. So, so think about it this way. It's like God is throwing out this blueprint on the table, right? And he says, here's the blueprint of, of your life from eternity past into eternity future. Um, this, is, this is this unbreakable chain. And, again, some of you may push back have questions, and you, know, you may not agree with me today, and that's okay. Um, you may not agree with me ever, and listen, that's okay. Uh, I, I don't believe, I don't think this affects your salvation, right? I don't think, uh, I, I don't think you have to believe this to, to be a Christian. Um, but I will say this, and this is partly based on uh, my experience. Um, I believe that this will, if you believe what what I believe the, the Bible teaches, and not just me, this is uh, many, many old dead guys before me, and many folks uh, on the other side of me, and many even today that would stand alongside me in believing this. I believe that if you believe what I believe the scripture teaches, it will only increase your assurance in Christ, your security, your confidence in Christ, in your identity as a son or a daughter of God and in his plan for your life. Because here again, that initial, the initial question is who initiated the relationship? If I was the one who initiated the relationship, that means that I could also be the one who loses the relationship. Are you tracking with me? If, if I, but 
God said, I've set my love upon you, and there's nothing that you can do to break that. There's nothing that you can do to snatch yourself out of my hand, right? God's unbreakable chain. So let me wrap it up with this big thought. God has a sovereign plan. You have a secure future. God has a sovereign plan. You have a secure future. And so, you know what? Next time you're overwhelmed, and for some of you, maybe that's right now, right here, November 19th, 2023. Next time you're overwhelmed, I want to encourage you to run to Romans 8. Run to Romans 8. Let the word of God remind you of God's gracious help, God's sovereign work, and God's unbreakable chain. And you know what, maybe you're here in this room or listening this morning and you have questions about your relationship with God. Maybe you're like, well, am I, am I part of the chosen, the elect? I mean, like, has God set his love on me? I don't know. Maybe that's a question for you. And, and I would say this, that if your heart feels compelled uh, towards him uh, to know more, to give your life even to him today, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, that God is in this moment drawing you to himself. And the only appropriate response would be repentance and faith. And so maybe you have questions about that, man. We would, I would encourage you to, to not leave this place without talking to someone. We'll have folks over in a prayer corner. Um, elders and myself will be over in our Next Steps area. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions. Uh, we're not going to be able to plumb the depths of foreknowledge and predestination today. But if you have questions about your relationship with God, uh, man, we would love to introduce you to our Savior. Lord, thank you for the things that we've seen this morning. Man, a lot of stuff, a lot of deep stuff, a lot of complicated truth, um, a lot of things to wrestle with. And yet, God, at the end of the day, we know that you are our divine helper, that you come alongside of us in our weakness and you seek to, to help us. You seek to give us understanding. You intercede for us to the Father with groanings to things together for good for those of us who are called who love you Lord I thank you for the truths that we've seen this morning Lord I pray for anyone in this room that may not know you as Savior anyone who has questions about who you are and what you've done um, Lord I pray that this morning wouldn't um, muddy the waters for them or confuse them God I pray that ultimately it would sense a loving God who is drawing them to to you so I pray that you would do that work that only you can do. God, we love you. Thank you that you are present, you are active, that you are our helper. God, that we can trust in your sovereign plan, knowing that our foolishness and our weakness and our sinfulness it will never break the chain. That you have chosen us, you have set your love upon us. God, we rejoice in that this morning. Would you encourage us?